Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Today's interview is all over the place. We're talking about the many ways Madison Avenue conspires to exploit us, the American consumers. The system is rigged to discourage free thinkers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. And the banksters have quite a few tricks up their sleeve to steal from us and even our families. I think you'll find the conversation today rather engaging and quite lively. And we're sort of pulling back the curtain a bit and looking at the various ways consumers are manipulated and exploited for the benefit of the fat cats on Wall Street. There's also some great tips in today's talk to help you protect your assets and stay one step ahead of this devious game. Today's enriching fact of the day is that you can increase your willpower to become a more disciplined and successful person. Studies have shown that willpower acts like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it becomes. Test groups who were given strict exercises to stick to over a two-week period were then found to have increased levels of willpower after doing these exercises for two weeks. This means that making positive changes and staying with them will actually help you have the willpower to make other positive changes and stay with them. So if you want to be a more disciplined person and be able to say no to those fattening foods or yes to reading more books, the secret is to just do it. Start by focusing on one good keystone habit that you stay with no matter what. And then just doing that one thing consistently will strengthen your willpower and give you the ability to adopt additional good habits and eliminate the bad ones. Today's enriching fact reveals that exercising your willpower is the secret to strengthening it. And the stronger your willpower is and the more disciplined you are, the more control you have over your life and what you get out of it. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kim. We all know that drinking water is super important. Our bodies are almost entirely made of H2O. But with a recent scientific breakthrough, you can get more H2 for your buck with the amazing molecular hydrogen infusion systems and tablets from Trucy. As the smallest molecule in the universe, molecular hydrogen, or H2, is able to neutralize the most damaging and inflammation-causing free radicals within your cells. And it acts as a powerful signaling molecule to optimize nearly every function in the body. Trucy serves a wide spectrum of clients from elite professional athletes to wellness leaders and biohackers to individuals suffering from a diverse range of chronic ailments. With their passion for the serving of one, they provide clients with the most powerful tools possible to transform and reclaim their health and dramatically boost their performance. If you want to feel better, look better, and make a positive change for your health, check out the ultra-premium health, nutrition, and natural beauty products from Trucy. Experience the power of simplicity. Joining us today is Rich DiMaggio. He's an attorney, author, expert on mortgage fraud and the schemes the financial establishment employ to rob us blind. 
While we would like to think our banks and mortgages are on the up and up, Rich is here to share with us the way things really work. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Rich. So great to have you on the show today. Thank you. It is great to be here. So tell us, how did you come to be involved in the financial world? You've got a legal background, right? Right. And I was always a bankruptcy lawyer, forever. Uh, Starting back in 1987, I volunteered left and right for legal aid and a couple other other great not-for-profits to help people. And along the way, um, I started to ask why people were filing bankruptcy. It was always the same scenario. People were sitting there with a stack of letters. And they, they're on, afraid to open up. They don't want to open up. They're going to be nasty grams. And people psychologically would start to feel really, really bad about themselves. And then I would turn on the news and they said, oh, you know, people are taking advantage of the credit system. But it actually wasn't true at all. There are people with unpaid medical bills. There were people that had been seriously taken advantage, and they didn't know how to fight back. So believe it or not, I segued from bankruptcy into working for a very large financial institution in the collections department. It wasn't being a nasty debt collector. It was on the heels of the 87 bank meltdown, and a lot of banks were in deep, deep uh, financial trouble. So I had that angle. But then something absolutely horrible. I'm going to share it with your listeners. I've never shared this with anybody. But if you want to know what gave me a vendetta, here it is. There I am. On the eve of my father's funeral, it was horrible. He died a long, painful, horrible death, and Mm -hmm. I was in serious mourning. And I got another call. I got a call from a debt collector um, on some case I was working on, and I said to him, listen, I'm at my father's funeral. I apologized up and down. I said, you got to give me an extension on this. He said, Rich, absolutely no problem. So I said, thank you. And two days later, he defaulted me on one of the cases I was working on. And ever since then, I've had a serious axe to grind about debt collectors. And this segues, of course, into the whole mortgage fraud because foreclosures are done by debt collectors. Even if they're law firms, it doesn't matter. But that's what happened to me. And when I'm looking at those people with those piles of letters, I started to say, holy cow, nobody is protecting them. Nobody. So what I found out, and this just gets into everything else, and I don't care if it's dealing with debt collectors. I don't care if there's something on your credit report that you want to get off. It doesn't matter. It's all tied together. But what I found out was to look at things in a transactional type of way, transactional. So why is this debt collector chasing you? Oh, because I had a car repossessed. Where would you buy the car? It was one of these buy here, pay here places. I said, what did you pay for the car? 10000 What kind of car was it? You know, 1997, yada, yada, piece of junk. So then 
if you go back and you look at the book value of that car that they bought, it was actually a $6,000 car. They paid 10000 That $4,000 difference in the buy here, pay here is actually an inflated usury rate that is going to push the consumer into the illegal usury laws of just about every state out there. So that's jumping to, that's a quick segue, but my point is that whether it was bankruptcy, whether it was credit repair, whether it was auto fraud, whether it's mortgage fraud, you have to learn how to financially investigate and look at the transactions and the paperwork behind the scene, the truth in lending forms, the contracts, the true values of whatever is being purchased, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what made me. A, being burned by a colleague in a small town where colleagues don't burn each other, and B, just starting to look at why people were suffering so much, so and for that matter, true. still are. So is this true only for, you know, lower-income individuals, or did you find this to be true among the middle class and wealthier people? That is a great question. Um, it's across the board. I know people that had six-plus houses, million-dollar net worths that lost it all in 2008. There's a reason for 2008. Uh, but a lot of people were making a lot of money up until 2008. They lost it all. I just read something what newspaper was it? I don't watch the show, but there's that show Basketball Wives or something, and and something, she was in the media for something, and she turned around and she said to the camera, she goes, just because I'm on TV, you don't think I have problems like you? And that was spot on. doesn't matter who you are. Look at the movie stars and actors and actresses that end up filing for bankruptcy. Everybody gets taken advantage of. And like I tell them, Money is circulatory. We ask how many dollars circulate in our economy. Some days we have them, some days they don't, because it's like a moving river. It circulates. But it comes back to us. You just got to – you have to make it come back to you. But there are moments in our lives where we all have it, and there's moments in our lives where we're borrowing money for the bus, and it doesn't matter who you are. So what exactly did you uncover about the mortgage industry in this country? Where do I start with that? It, up, in, in 2002, just to back up, I wrote two books. One was called Collection Agency Harassment, What the Debt Collector Doesn't Want You to Know, and the other one was Credit Repair, What the Credit Industry Doesn't Want You to Know. And the purpose of writing those books was that I wanted, I wanted the consumer to learn how to fight back, but the primary purchaser of those books was not the consumer. They were in some of the chains, but it wasn't the person on the street that needed them that was buying the book. It was mortgage professionals. And I was completely shocked, but I spoke at Western Regional Mortgage Brokers, New York State. I, I was making the circuit to mortgage broker conventions because they were using those books to help people clean up their credit to buy a house. The number one takeaway from 2008, the, the thing that sticks in my mind is everybody knew it was going to happen except 
the man or woman on the street. Yeah, I think it was 2004. We all heard, uh, oh, you better file bankruptcy now because they're changing the bankruptcy laws to make it more difficult to file. It's actually not true. In 2004, mortgages were booming. Everybody was making money. The primary provisions that they that they changed in 2004 of the bankruptcy code was Chapter 13 provisions, making it harder to save your house in bankruptcy. So the simple fact that 2004 bankruptcy amendments were there to to make it easier to foreclose and the housing crisis was four years later left me scratching my head saying, holy cow, this thing, you know, I, I don't know if it was planned, but it was certainly foreseen and it amounted to the largest transfer of wealth in the history of our country from from the people on the street to the banks. But it, it was a whole bunch of, it was inflated appraisals, it was interest rates, but there was something else going on too. There was an increase in property taxes. And mm. yeah, I think that 2008 was caused largely by an increase in property taxes. You know, some people had these wildly fluctuating loans where interest rates went from like 2% to 12 and all that other stuff. But principal and interest on regular mortgages are pretty much a constant. They're constant. You know, 900, 300, whatever it is. And unless you have a jumbo, they're not that high. It's the taxes that tripled pretty much from then until now. And nobody wants to say that property taxes are the culprit, but I, that, that's my opinion. That and some shady banking practices. So it was kind of a perfect storm. And I think it's starting again. I just heard that there's like 30,000 new foreclosure petitions filed in Florida. People can pay their $900 for rent. It's taxes. You can't pay $800 in taxes when you're paying $900 in rent. And, yes, that's a New York thing, by the way. So, you know, one thing that has bugged me forever is the fact that we really, you know, there's this whole propaganda machine around the dream of home ownership in America, right, and your right to own a home. But the reality is, we never really get to own our home. We yeah. no longer have the title to our property where it really becomes ours, even if we've paid off our mortgage. Correct. In some states, by the way, like New York, where we have the highest property taxes in the entire country, or we're like one or two at the top, <clears throat> we lease our property. We lease it. And, and you... I don't even want to get into the causes of that and the special interests, but we lease our property. The prop people have lived in these little Adirondack log homes forever and ever for generations, and they're losing them because their taxes went up. It's like only the wealthy can come up here now, and everybody else, sorry, you got to leave New York. Over a million people have fled this state because of the taxes. Not to mention, by the way, the highest gas taxes in the country either. Well, so when you say people lease their homes, you're speaking in terms of the reality, not what it's called, right? People aren't thinking they're leasing a home. They're, it's just that they're, they've, they've got an obligation to pay taxes, 
And if they can't pay it, they're out of there, even if they on paper own their property. We're saying the same right. thing, right? We're saying the exact same thing. Yes. And it's, but if it's you, so if you buy it, sad. It is sad. It's horrible. You know, that's why I like that show Tiny Homes. You ever watch that? I want a tiny home. I love those little things. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I heard that they're actually converting empty shopping malls now to tiny home communities. Well, I think it's a fantastic phenomena, but there are, there are areas and communities that don't want them. They absolutely I know. don't want yeah. them. And there are areas and communities that don't want you living off the grid because a lot of those tiny homes, the, the mentality behind it is get off the grid, get out of the city, simplify your house, you know, your, your living, um, and live in a community with like-minded people. Well, you tend to be doing this, you know, outside of the city areas. And, you know, the Agenda 21 people don't like that. They want to keep you corralled inside the city, right, where they can control you. Absolutely. They, they need their money to pay the bills. They need yes. your money to pay their bills. That's exactly yes. what it is. You're 100% yes. accurate. Yes, that's exactly it. So, I mean, it's fantastic how I think people are waking up more and more. Like my story, and I know we both went to law school, but 22 years ago, I discovered that what I had been taught in, you know, finance, uh, I have a degree in finance and law school about money and the government and how the system works and how Wall Street works was BS. Yep. The rose-colored glasses came off, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is what's real. I don't know exactly the truth, but I know what they told me isn't true. I know what they keep telling me isn't true. I know the propaganda that Madison Avenue feeds me isn't true, right? And Absolutely. I, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish up because that is a – No, right? that's a fantastic point. You talk about this stuff back then especially, and people think you're kind of loony. Like, what are you talking about? Today, thanks to the Internet, there are more and more and more people that are waking up, but there's still a significant part of the population that thinks you're crazy if you talk this way. And, yeah, starting, you know, with, starting with my mother, by the way. <laughs> God bless her. 86, child of the Great Depression. Man, those people think differently. They, that was one tough generation. But you're absolutely right. And let me give you another Madison Avenue example. Oh, whatever it is, product it is, to, to make sure nobody steals your credit. And this always lets me start thinking, who are these credit reporting agencies? There's three of them, maybe a few more, but three big ones. And they gather data on me and you and everybody else, some of it accurate, some of it inaccurate, but they're custodians of some of our most personal information, like our social security numbers, et cetera, et cetera. If somebody steals from them, aren't they supposed to be paying me? Why isn't this safeguarded? And so I'm not paying X number of dollars a month to see if somebody who took data from me and illegally allowed it to be stolen monitors it. No. That's part of the Madison Avenue stuff um, that drives me insane. 
But the whole thing that you see on the news, read in the newspapers, I shouldn't say that because nobody reads them anymore, but watch on TV or on the Internet, is designed to make us sheeple. We are supposed to be slaves to the system, slaves to the debt collectors, slaves to the job, slaves to this, slaves to the credit agency, when in fact they're the ones that owe us a fiduciary duty with our confidences. And, and that's, that's simply the way it works, which led me to well, another thing. Go ahead. Just one comment there. You're absolutely right, except on a practical level, Rich, how do I, as Mr. Consumer, right, force these huge monopolies that who's the man behind the mirror, right? Who's the man behind the curtain? Who actually owns these credit reporting agencies, right? Try to get them to do anything, right? If, I've, if my privacy has been violated, how right. do I get them to pay me? Almost impossible. It, it's, it's impossible. Courts don't want to hear. A lot of judges, by the way, um, I have great respect for our legal system, so I'm not taking a pot shot at any judge. But a lot of them come from the big firms that represented these companies that, that crap all over us. So I always look into the background of a judge, or did when I was practicing rather, to see what their position is and where they're coming from. Because it seems like if you're, if you're a big bankster, you get away with murder. But if you're the man, woman on the street, uh, you're going to lose. The, the deck is stacked against you. There are some wonderful consumer groups out there. I love the National Association of Consumer Advocates. I was actually a member of that. I was a member in the very beginning when I think there were only 10 of us. There's about 1,500 lawyers now. Um, and, again, it's the National Association of Consumer Advocates. Every single lawyer on there has been vetted to specifically help consumers. If they have any conflict of interest, they're not allowed to join the group, and another lawyer has to vouch for them. So I tell people, I need a lawyer that specializes in consumer law, and I automatically send them to the NACA website, um, National Association of Consumer Advocates. Whether it's auto fraud, lemon, uh, lemon law, it doesn't matter. Um, the lawyers on that are very, very good, and they work in conjunction with the National Consumer Law Center, the NCLC. That's another wonderful organization. So slowly but surely, since the 90s, people are starting to realize that they have rights, but you're right. They don't really know where to turn to. And, you know, big brother, who is Oz? Who's behind the curtain? I, I'm actually not really sure anymore. Well, I think the topic of another show, Rich, is what you just said. You have a lot of respect for the legal system. I'd like to explore that because <laughs> I don't well, know that I do. Well, I can't burn any bridges. So they... <laughs> uh, I see. I see. I, 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 see. I, will say, I will say that there are some states that are extremely consumer-friendly, and there are some states that are not. Like New York, oh, everybody talks about New York, oh, the liberal bastion, yada, yada, yada. Well, that's simply not true. We have a, there's a blanket law called UDAP, UD, uh, deceptive, Uniform Deceptive Acts and Practices, and it just kind of covers a general law if you are deceived. Oh, yeah, New York, 
that statue gets you $100. Next door in Massachusetts, they have a UDAP statute called 93A, where if you write a letter, if you are screwed by somebody, you write a letter, and they don't resolve it within 90 days, and you win, you get three times your damages. That's what every single state should have, something like the Massachusetts 93A law. Every state has a UDAP law, but the one in New York not going to help you. And, and for me, it's not about, you know, protecting the consumer versus the big banks or the big players. It's equal justice. It's fairness. It's what's right. What's the right thing, right? Because there are some consumers right. who try to scam the system, and you and I both know them, right? We've been around those people. And there are people that are unjustly harmed and you know, credit, going back to the credit. Who the heck is behind the credit agencies, right? And now they're making so much flipping money off of all this credit reporting, which for those poor people that have had their credit, um, you know, violated and they've had all sorts of issues, it costs them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours trying to figure it out and thousands of dollars, you know, right. getting their credit back. It's, it's insane. The system is insane, right? This, and this, I am one system. of those schmucks that do pay for the credit reporting, and I check it all the time because I don't want any issues with my credit. So I'm on top yeah. of it. No, no, and, but I have and, to and that's that. good. Right, but we shouldn't have to pay for that. Exactly. They're custodians of your – we shouldn't. And I know millions of people do, and I, that wasn't as a put down. I should have said we shouldn't have to pay for that. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean it. I, I didn't take it as a put down. I do it because I'm proactive. I am not going to be a victim, right? Right. I don't wear a V on my forehead, and so I'm not going to wait till something happens and then have to go fix it. Ain't happening. Even though I'm an attorney and I, you know, don't practice law, not, not – I'm a – what did you call yourself? You're an inactive – Attorney, uh, there's a there's a box when you register. It's I used to be a CLE instructor. I I taught um, I thought I I taught other lawyers how to litigate these in state state and federal courts. So um, there's this box that says inactive. I don't have to do my CLE because I am no longer practicing law. And I sat there and my hand trembled. And I waited till I got the third and final notice before I checked it. And I, I looked at my wife and I said, I'm sorry, 30 years, I just can't do it anymore. And she just laughed and she's like, that's okay. <laughs> Don't do it. I'm inactive. I've been inactive for decades, right? I haven't given up my bars because, you know, God forbid, I don't want to give up the bars. I'm never, ever, ever going to practice law again, right? But I'm inactive too, right? Love it. No continuing yeah. ed, and, you know, it's a, it's a good place to be. And you know what? But if it, I ever need it again, I got it. Like you. Right. Exactly. You just got I don't know what kind of hoops they make you jump through. Um, but you know what? It, it's time to educate people on this stuff. They do have rights, and they can fight back. And um, we were talking about how it all starts, just to step back for a second. I looked out my window this morning and I see all the parents are walking their kids to the bus stop and then they're getting ready to go to work. And I'm wondering how many of those people actually like what they do every day. They get up, they go to work day after day. Do they like their jobs? Do they hate their jobs? Are they stuck in a rut? What is it? And 
she said, I would almost bet that 90% of them hate their jobs and they're just getting their time in, which is probably true. And that's also said, the more people, I talk to an awful lot of people and they, they don't, it's not that they don't like their job, it's that there's a supervisor there or something that makes their job miserable for them. Or they only get the five days vacation a year, something like that. And you, you go to Germany, you go to Europe, and people are getting six weeks vacation, you're stressed out, they send you to the spa for a massage or something. Uh, and it's, it's, we live in a very difficult, high-strung society compared to the rest of the world. But that's well, how it starts, by the way. Well, so I, I'm an entrepreneur. For a second. All right. comment on that. It's based on social engineering from the late 1800s. They wanted nice little workers, right? They trained us to yes. nice little workers <laughs> for the corporate um, hierarchy, right? And again, I go back to Madison Avenue because Madison Avenue has a lot of influence. They are behind the social engineering, right? That that yes, influences groupthink, right? And yep. what is Madison Avenue about? What is you know the whole um, propaganda about living? It's you have you know you go to college, you get all this debt, you start get married, you start a family, you work for the man, and then when you're 65 years old, you get to retire and live. Excuse me, how about starting to live <laughs> first, and then, and then whatever you want, right? But no, I've got to give my right. time to the corporate man first. BS. Right. They want, you're exactly right. And that's what our education system is still based on. They wanted yes. to create drones that could sit there and put together a Model T on a conveyor belt and not get bored doing it for 60 yep. hours a week. So we live in the greatest, last capitalistic society in the world. Love capitalism, hate capitalism. Man, if you're here and you build a better mousetrap, you can hit it big. And yet, so my son is in, he's in 11th grade now, and he's taking some you know, consumer science class, and she sits there, the teacher, and hands out job applications for the state and teaches the kids how to fill out the job applications to go work for the state. And my son says, I, this isn't what I want to do. He got penalized because he said he didn't want to go out, whether it's the state or somebody else, because I want to work for myself. And that wasn't even an option in high school. We have the greatest capitalistic society, and working for yourself is not taught, and it's not even presented as an option. You are 100% right. They want on you purpose. to go out. Hmm? On, pur on purpose. Yes. On purpose. It's not by accident. It's not an accident that our educational system does not teach us how to communicate with each other. They do not, it, does, it does not teach us how to manage finances. It does not teach us how to support ourselves by being entrepreneurs and bring value to the marketplace. It teaches us from the day we're born and we go into daycare to be nice little citizens. Yep. It's all by design. Yes, it is. 
to live the life for them, not live your own life. Absolutely. Who was it that said it was some, you know, might, might have been Karl Marx that said, give us your children to educate, and in two generations, we will completely change the mindset of a country. How sad. Two, at two generations, educating two generations. So think about it. Like how many, you know, I'm going to assume you're maybe 50 years old, right? So your kids and your grandkids, that's it. In two generations that they educate them, we're done as a country. And look well, what's happening. I, <laughs> yes, I can, I can tell you for 57, by the way, I can, 56. I can tell you for a fact that my son is not in that group. But, um, yeah, you, you listen to all of the, where are we going to get a job? Where are we going to get a job? Well, how about creating your own? Why expect anybody else to take care of you? You have dreams, you have hopes, you have aspirations and ambition. Now you have an idea, and you need to learn to take your idea and perfect it and to turn it into something that's going to generate revenue. And um, I think it was Shark Tank, Robert Hershevik, he said, you know, being an entrepreneur is like being thin and in shape. No, being rich is like being thin and in shape. Everybody wants it, but nobody wants to go through the hassle to get there. And it's true. It's not easy. It's much easier in the short term to go out and collect your paycheck. And by the way, that trap is set upon high school graduation. They're bred to be followers in high school, but then the college is, for a lot of people, an even bigger trap and then they take out the loans and the debts, and they buy their car and move in with, with their boyfriend or girlfriend, get their own apartment, and want to be like mom and dad and independent. And so they go out and they get their job, and within three years they're stuck. It's too late to actually make the leap to independence. Entrepreneurship should start as early as possible, in my opinion. Because Absolutely. once you've got the mortgage. Yeah, when you have the mortgage, the house, the obligations, and you're coming home and kicking the dog or something because you hate your job, um, it, it's too late. You have to really be prepared to make the ultimate financial sacrifices to write your life if you're further, further on, unless you have a spouse that can support you and understand it while you're doing it. But um, you got to start. You got to start kids early if, if that's their game plan. My son went to alternative school his entire life, uh, education, and he was going to go to college to study business, entrepreneurship, and before he went to college, long story, but um, he said, you know, Mom, I, you know, I want to study business because I want a business. I'm an entrepreneur, always been an entrepreneur. My husband had the corporate sales job, right? He's an engineer, but sold uh, software to really smart engineers. And um, I said, honey, you don't study business, you do business. If that's what you want, we'll set you up in a business and you will work the business. And he's 22 years old and he's been doing business and his brain is about to explode because every day there's something new to learn. But boy, what an experience. We took his college money, invested it in the business and I could not, could not have been happier. I will tell you, 
a little bit of hesitation where I thought, you know what, my son may not have a college degree because everyone in my family is educated. Everyone in my husband's family is educated, right? We all come from a ton of, everyone's got a ton of degrees, right? And I was like, I can't believe my child may not have a degree. And today could not be happier. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a leap of faith because the minute you tell somebody you're not sending your kid to college and putting them up in business instead, I mean, you got to see the looks you get. You know what I'm talking about. What? They're not going to college? Oh, and people ask him that all the time. Like, when are you going to go to college? And he's like, I'm not. And you know what? There are absolutely specific classes, and he knows that he needs to take. Business law is the first one, right? As you a must, know how a much. must, yeah. Absolute must, right? Accounting, absolutely. He's not going to be an accountant. He's not going to be a lawyer, but he needs to understand the potential risks there are, right? And he needs to understand the numbers. He needs to understand how the accountant is going to talk to him about his numbers. So I know we are totally off topic. Rich, I told you at the beginning, you and I are going to have a ton to talk about. Let's go back to mortgages, right? Let's okay. go back to the mortgages. So mortgage titles in the U.S. are often clouded, right? And I want you to define that without the homeowner's knowledge. Define clouded and tell me how this can actually happen. All right. It's very complex. However, that aside, you signed your closing papers at the table in the law office. It was immediately transferred, without your knowledge or permission, to a company by the name of MERS, Electronic Recording, blah, blah. MERS was a fictitious shell company designed to facilitate the transfer of mortgage notes. So what happened was the deed went one way to the county clerk's office, and the mortgage went into, went to Wall Street, where it was bundled with millions of other mortgages in a series of trusts They were then sold on Wall Street as investment devices. Now, so who owns the mortgage? Because a lot of those trusts went out of business. And um, so you had notes going one way, mortgages going another way, and every single time the note was passed around, it got stamped on the back, pay to the order of. Then we had Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and then we had private mortgage insurance in case there was a default. So if a mortgage defaulted and the uh, private mortgage insurance, the PMI, paid for the default, why isn't the PMI going on the foreclosure instead of this trust that has closed? There's really a lot of, of different, and then there's, S&Es who received the paperwork for the simple purpose of foreclosure. A lot of the old countrywide files were an absolute mess. And so people had the deed in the office and they had a house, but the actual note, the financial obligation, changed hands over and over and over, many times to a trust that had its own set of powers. 
that is a clouded title. And if it sounds confusing, it's because it is. So what does that mean to the consumer? Like, you know, when you go buy a house and you have a mortgage, right, what do you have? You have a stack of documents that you sign and no one ever reads it. So isn't there a disclaimer there that says we can transfer this, this mortgage to anyone we want, anytime we want, for whatever reason we want? Yes. But, well, yes and no, because there's also there's commercial paper rules under the UCC that have a different set of rules when you're dealing with, with assigning a note. So there's UCC arguments in there as well. And then you have some states that have judicial foreclosure and other states where you're like in and out. If you miss a payment, you're out of your house almost immediately. So there's, all, there's different statutes in all 50 states that are also very confusing. I'm going to, while we're talking about this, I'm going to mention what I think is, is landmark litigation going on right now. But so a lot of consumers used all these different rules as securitization, trusts, et cetera, et cetera, to defend the foreclosure. And you get into the foreclosure hearing, I've been to dozens and dozens of them, and the judge like, did you miss a month? Did you miss a payment? Um, yeah. So that's the judge's viewpoint generally, and the consumer sits there looking like an idiot. Um, did you miss the payment? That's what it comes down to. A lot of states have come out with some horrendous decisions, including New York. New York, the Court of Appeals, the highest court in the state, issued a decision a year or two ago that says if the bank has a copy of the note, then they can foreclose, and we don't really care where the bank got the note from. It's a horrendous decision. So consumers lost big time on all this. Now, if we can segue, so that's clouded titles. If we can segue into what I think is, is really amazing litigation, it's Henry Hamp litigation from 2013. Are you familiar with that? No. Okay. Shocking. But so along comes HAMP, homeowner modification, where people are supposed to be able to get modifications on defaulted mortgages in order to keep their homes, right? You've heard of HAMP. And what happens is the foreclosing law firm or the bank or the servicer, whoever it is, would send these HAMP modification papers out. And this went on for years. And I mean years. Oh, we need an updated this. Oh, I, I had clients literally tearing their hair out, screaming and crying in court. We need an updated this. Oh, we don't have the T597 form. And it went on. And people were sitting there in court with copies of the documents that they sent to the banks looking for a modification. And I'm not kidding. Some of these copies were three feet high. What in rehamp litigation out of Massachusetts shows us, and Bank of America is a culprit here, is they found bank employees, and I believe there's at least eight of them, that said their sole job was to prevent HAMP modifications. That is, the banks took trillions of dollars to rewrite loans, 
but they didn't. They had employees who testified that their sole job was to destroy thousands upon thousands of applications in a single day, to lie to people saying we need this, even though the computer system was indicating they already had it. And they had oh. blitz days where they had blitz days where they just mass dumped HAMP modification applications and they were given bonuses in order to in order to just proceed with a foreclosure and and avoid HAMP. There's a whole bunch of affidavits that are sworn to under oath where employees came out of the woodwork and said, Yeah, this is what we were told to do and if we didn't do it, we uh we lost our jobs. So uh, I've heard there is of that. Pardon? I, you know, I've heard of that. I know about it. Um, it's so egregious. I'm listening to you speak, and I'm holding my breath again, going, how insane. It was something that you said that was just very telling. We would have the documents, and we would tell the homeowner we didn't have the documents because, yep. you know, everybody can relate to that. You've sent stuff. You know you've sent it. You have proof you sent it, and they're like, we didn't get it, and you're about to lose your house, right? <sighs> there is a law firm out of Ohio, if I may mention. Their name is Wright with a W-R-I-G-H-T, Schulte, S-C-H-U-L-T-E. And they, um, they advertised on some business channels, and they have a website. They're, they're a very top-rated law firm, homeloanjustice.com, I believe is the name. And they talk about Bank of America litigation. And if you – there's another website where they actually put the complaint online where you can read it. It's 180 pages. And they attach all the affidavits from these employees – to, to the complaint, and they sued them in North Carolina where the BOA home office is. And it's just what these guys did is, is terrible. I mean, they just... Um, it's criminal. You, they should be in prison. Right, and they're not. Instead, people lost their houses. They were forced into bankruptcy, not to mention the stress of just being dragged through the mud for year after year, being forced to spend a fortune on photocopies that got you nowhere while all these guys took trillions in taxpayer dollars. It's a scam. But Wright Schulte is on to something um, really big. I looked at their complaint. They attached all these affidavits. I believe they've already survived the motion to dismiss. And um, I, I'm really impressed with the work that they're doing. Well, and not only that, that, they... Yeah, not only that, you know, HAMP wasn't even offered to a lot of people for nine years. Like how much interest and late fees and charges and everything else does that add up to? They were just telling people to send in trial payments with absolutely no intention of modifying them because they were just trying to get trial payment money. They had, the employees had direct instructions to just gather, collect as much money as you can. And here's the human cost right? Here's the actual human cost. You've got millions of people who are struggling with foreclosures and going through that process. It's a cost. Uh, it's a, there's an opportunity cost in terms of time and money. There's a cost in terms of their health. There's a cost in terms of what they can offer their children, what they can do for their family. There's a cost in terms of generational 
because that's wealth, you know, the house and the savings that they were unable to do that doesn't get passed down. The right. theft, the human, I, I don't even know what to call it, right? The, the, the psychic theft, the emotional theft, the spiritual theft, the financial theft is incalculable. Yep. And how they sleep at night, I have no idea. I am not an anti-capitalist at all. I am all about free markets and capitalism. But this is where you said you like the justice system. I'm sorry. The justice system is not about justice. Many, many, many times it's about protecting the corporate interests. And it's not like the small business, right, interest. It's the big Wall Street corporate interest. You're absolutely I'm sure right. You saw, I'm sure you saw the movie The Big Short, right? And it was, in my opinion, a very accurate uh, depiction of what actually happened, right? And, and it was one story being told, and I thought it was told very beautifully. Mm-hmm. But these banks made out, like you said, they got trillions from Trillion. the taxpayers, and then hey. they stole from the consumers. Yeah, but well, we can't help student loans. That might cost one trillion. We'll oh, give three trillion to the scam. banks, though. That's another scam. Sure is. By the way, my favorite law movie is A Civil Action. I love A Civil Action with John Travolta. Oh, I don't think I've seen it. Oh, you have to see it, where he files a class. Was it a class action? Um, It was like uh, because this big chemical company polluted everything, and it's just how the big chemical company dragged him through the muck. It's a true story, and bankrupted him, and, and it was got away with murder, the kind of murder you're talking about. It was an absolutely amazing movie. Well, I'll have to put it on my list. So we've completely exceeded our time today, Rich, but let's um, just review practical action steps for our listeners who, you know, might be having some issues with their uh, credit or with making home payments or if they know someone, what are some actionable steps that they can take? You mentioned that um, law firm in Ohio that people should check out. If if you have a Bank of America loan, not even a, I won't say a BOA loan, I'll say an older countrywide loan since BOA uh, purchased their portfolio. If you have an old countrywide loan and you have had problems with them, especially modification problems, then I would go to Wright Schulte in Ohio, and I believe that their website is homeloanjustice.com. They perfected some of the best HAMP modification I've ever seen. That's if you have one of their loans. If you have another loan, um, if, if you have a non-countrywide loan, got I would go to the National Association of Consumer Advocates website. You have to deal with somebody that knows the ropes of your state. I can't tell you to do something particular in a certain state because all 50 states have different laws about 
um, you know, UCC. They're getting tremendous successes. There's been a few in Florida, some in Alabama. Some of the southern states are doing really well in, in acknowledging some of the frauds that were committed on people. The northern states, not so much so. But I would talk to, I would talk to a, a National Association of Consumer Advocate attorney in your area. It's broken down by city and state and ask if you have a case. If you don't, then, you know, you can always, as a third option, and again, we're just talking foreclosures, you can file a Chapter 13 bankruptcy to get some instant instant um, protection, and you can force camp modifications there, the bankruptcy courts. I don't know if all of them do, but a lot of them do. They have a mandatory modification program set up where you can try and modify in bankruptcy, and at least you won't lose your you lose sleep with bankruptcy protection if you have another loan like a, a debt collector or lemon law or car fraud then i would also go to the national association of consumer advocates and find a lawyer in your area you can sue a debt collector for a lot of fraudulent activity and maybe get your debt wiped out get your attorney's fees paid for and and make some money if there's an egregious violation so it's not just leveling the playing field you actually have causes of action that put you in the driver's seat to help you take control over some of the more abusive cases out there but they don't even need to be abusive cases just um you know confusing language in a letter and stuff like that can trigger debt collector liability so my goal is to fight back and if you don't know how, your starting point is going to be the National Association of Consumer Advocates. And if it's a BOA countrywide loan, it's going to be homeloanjustice.com. Great information. Rich, thank you so much for joining us today. Please let, awesome. our, listeners know how they can, please let our listeners know how they can find you online. No, they can't find me online. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. They could go through you or 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 go through your office. I actually you check start. The box. You check the box. <laughs> inactive. That's it. That was it. But I just to give your listeners a little follow up, and maybe we can come back and talk about this. I am an entrepreneur, and um, I've been working on a project for ten years. It is a project that could be very very huge. We're waiting for an exit, a sale, um, and. Everything was kind of kept offline because we didn't want some of the big, big companies out there that could be competition getting wind of what I'm doing. So that's why I'm kind of in hiding right now. But maybe if we have an exit in a month or two, we can come back and we can talk about, talk about that. Well, that would be fantastic. Congratulations to you. Could not be happier for you. And, Rich, really thank you for your, your service to – consumers and to your clients. I have no doubt that you just vigorously helped your clients in, you know, helping them with their credit and helping them keep their homes. And, um, you know, you're one of the good guys. So thank you so much for your service to, to this country. Well, thank you so much. And I just want everybody out there to know, no matter what your personal situation is, one, you're not alone. And two, you got to keep fighting. They're trying to tire you out. So you have to fight back. And that is the moral of the story. Great words of wisdom. 
My best to Rich. You take care. Thank you. Talk to you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. 